I did a catering event when I was 17 for a neighbor's a couple in a neighbor's church, a young couple got married, and they just needed me to do trays of this, that, and the other. And it was vegetables and fruit and some sandwiches, real simple stuff. But, I mean, for me, it was a big deal. I remember driving it down in our family van, and my mom and dad went with me to help me unload everything. And when I walked away from there, I had a check for 700 some dollars, and I was like, I'm doing this for the rest of my life. I'm Robin Sessingham, and this is The Zest. Citrus, seafood, Spanish flavor, and southern charm. The Zest celebrates cuisine and community in the Sunshine State. She's a James Beard Award winner, protege of Emerald Lagasse, and the culinary innovator behind one of Tampa's most talked-about new restaurants, Today on The Zest, a conversation with Chef Ann Kearney. Her reputation certainly preceded her and Kearney had plenty of cooking cred before she ever set foot in Florida. As a teenager in Dayton, Ohio, while her friends were flipping burgers at fast food joints, Anne was already making family dinners and catering parties. She earned her culinary degree and went on to work under the renowned chef John Neal in New Orleans, where she honed her classic French cooking techniques. When John died in 1995, Anne bought his restaurant, Peristyle, and added her own touches to the menu. In 2002, the James Beard Foundation christened her best chef in the Southeast. Soon after, Anne returned to her native Dayton to open Rue de Maine, a New Orleans-style eatery that put her back in the national spotlight. Now, Anne brings her self-described food of love to Tampa Heights. In February, she and her partners opened Okanola at the Armature Works Food Hall on the Hillsborough River. Recently, Anne took a break from the kitchen to join me for a conversation in our studio. So you got your start cooking because when you were 14 year, years old, mm-hmm. your mother went back to work and she said, Anne, you're in charge of making sure we have dinner on the table yep. for the family every night when I get home from work. Absolutely. Well, she um, she had set a standard our whole lives. We had dinner at, at the same time and we all sat at the same place at the table. The table was set. There was always a protein, a starch, sometimes two vegetables, depending on the season, uh, a salad, Bread and butter, sliced bread and butter, not homemade most of the time. And then um, water glasses filled. And then you sat down as a family. You said prayer. You held hands. You said grace. And then you It was an o- event. Yeah, and the on- you only missed dinner if you had a- athletic practice or something to do with school. You didn't, you didn't say, I'm going to go out and play. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She'd scream out the back door and we'd come home. It's not insignificant to put oh. all that together every single day. I found for that a busy out. No. Family. <laughs> yes. Well, no, I didn't think it wasn't insignificant, but I mean, we had always gone to the grocery with her and always helped her get through that and always helped unload the groceries and such. So it was it was she had four kids and a husband and a dog. And I mean, that's a lot to take care of. I have no idea how she did it. But anyway. So you started cooking at 14. I did for all these people. I fell in line with what she was the proteins and I was cooking them in the same way, making whatever she did with the ground beef and such. And then about, I guess about six months into it, I opened her bottom drawer, which is where she stored her beat up cookbooks, which were fine. Betty Crocker and all the, all the, the very, 
I don't know, common cookbooks for that time and started paging through them and finding different things to do with the chicken. And and I made, years into it, I made uh, chicken cordon bleu. And my mother shared how delicious it was with her friends. They would see her and they would say, do you think Anne would do this or that? And so I made chicken cordon bleu for several of the neighbors for different events. And um, that would have been fine if we had a sharp knife and if she would buy boneless, skinless chicken breast. But at the time, at whatever age I was, there was no such thing. I mean, you got a whole chicken in and you broke it down. And so it was it was a laborious task. But nonetheless, I introduced chicken cordon bleu to West Carrollton, Ohio, which is the suburb I've lived in in Dayton. Anyway. But you were only, you were still a kid. Yeah, I was 16. Or but you made some so. money. Yeah. I did a catering event when I was 17 for a neighbor's, a couple in a neighbor's church. A young couple got married and they just needed me to do trays of this, that, and the other. And it was vegetables and fruit and some sandwiches, real simple stuff. But I mean, for me, it was a big deal. I remember driving it down in our in our family van and my mom and dad went with me to help me unload everything. And when I walked away from there, I had a check for 700 some dollars and I was like, I'm doing this for the rest of my life. I mean, Seven hundred dollars was not is not a lot of money at any time, but when you're sixteen, seventeen, and it was the early eighties, that was a lot of money. That was, that was really good. That money. was a lot of money to get for me all to have. at one time and not oh, yeah. to have to work all summer at McDonald's. Right, right, <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Yes, I, like I, your friends I managed were probably to, doing. Yeah. Well, yeah, I managed to survive without any fast food uh, employment, but yeah. my whole career. But that's okay. They're doing a great job. I don't know how they. They manage much more than I have to manage, but nonetheless. Well, that's nice and respectful of you to say, but um, you are Ohio born and bred. Yes. Um, and then you went to uh, New Orleans, and you really have a background in de- New Orleans cooking. I'm going to come back to that because okay. I want to skip ahead to the fact that you've come to Tampa, Florida, and open up this restaurant, Oak and Ola, where you're the executive chef and also one of the owners? Yes, I'm a partner. Yes, I'm one of five partners. Yes. Okay. And I'm just interested in asking you about that right now because Louisiana has such a incredibly strong personality, Mm -hmm. such a strong regional flavor. And, And coming to Florida, you know, how does it compare Oh well, it's it's very different. I mean, it's I mean certainly the Gulf Coast, being on the Gulf and being coastally located, that's that brings a lot to the table. Lot a lot of availability of product that's available. Plus, Florida has some great product that's available as well. But culturally, I think Italy and Cuba are two of the strongest flavor profiles that are that are influenced in the cuisine just by by the the history of the of the state. You're talking about the Tampa Bay right? Well, region. And it, yes, yes. But in Louisiana, seven different flags flew or New Orleans, seven different flags flew over the city. So there's st- architecturally um art, you know, music, food, all those influences come from so many different places. My cuisine was more French, pull, pulled from the French, and because of Creole, there's certainly lots of French influence there. But um and Napoleon being <laughs> having bought a home and wanted to rule the world from there. So there's lots of wonderful um, opportunities to, plus the growing season is very different than Florida. Florida is much further south. And um, Florida is a different animal than than Ohio and than Louisiana, but why wouldn't it be? It sure (laughs) is. And so that's what I'm wondering. How how are you evolving? How are things evolving back there in the kitchen? Because your French provincial style, that's Mm -hmm. your really your signature style, fit in so well in New Orleans, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, But what about here? I don't know any better, honestly. I'll tell you. And what I mean is I did not come to Tampa and think, oh, my gosh, I hope my food is the kind of food that 
Florida will like or that Tampa will like. I just all I know is how to cook from my heart and cook from what I what I know. There's lots of new ways to prepare food and new ways to cook, but I will tend to go back to the classic French methods. I mean, I I have put a little bit of sous vide into my world. I have put a little bit of of um, we have an induction burner that I mean all kinds of. But if you give me a carrot, I can make a carrot taste good. So I mean, and with the simple steaming and you know I don't I don't need a whole lot of um, uh, smoke and mirrors to make things happen, but Anyhow, I I feel blessed that the people that have come into our door have been very pleased with the flavor profiles I've chosen and and the presentation and and the app. I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, they're happy with what we're putting out there as Okinola, and I'm very proud to do it. So, so describe it. Describe the food and the presentation. Well, think of Europe. Think beyond France. It can be Eastern Europe, Northern Europe. Right now, we're focusing on the Mediterranean. If you think about it, France touches most of the countries that I'm that I've spread my cuisine out to, my new flavor profiles out to. So Spain, Italy, Germany, a little bit of England, and and Belgium. I mean, I've got a Belgian waffle on the menu that has a doesn't necessarily have a real Belgian waffle field. Or it's a Belgian waffle that's smeared with goat cheese and topped with a sauté of roast, four different types of roasted mushrooms. Has a little shot of Madeira in it. Also, all those textures and flavors, aromas, all that works for me when I put it on a plate and I send it out and I hope that the guests are going to accept that and people are are loving that. For the German side, I was raised in a German-Irish home, not German-speaking certainly, but the flavors of Germany were available in my in my world from both my both sides of my grandparents. A lot of immigrants, German immigrants in that area of Ohio. Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. So beets. I'm a lover of beets. Mm-hmm. I remember eating beets with my mother as a very young woman. She would make pickled beets and put them in the refrigerator. And um, so one of the dishes that I created many years ago, moving to the South, and I've also been told the Florida is not the South <laughs> because... Oh, it is. I, well, I would but, take offense. Well, <laughs> well a couple of people, like, people are like, this is not the South. And I'm like, okay, well, well it's a 1,500 miles South of where I used to live. So right. this is the South to me, but nonetheless. Um, I thought the Gulf Coast, we've got uh, the uh, crab available. So crab and beets are two different, completely different animals, but put them together and add an ingredient that will will bring them together. There's an affinity for a little a little flavor there that you can add. And in this case, I added horseradish. So I dress the, the crab meat with a little bit of um, dressing and um, add a little horseradish in there and then put it on top of the roasted beets that have this nice, again, I like the earthiness of, I mentioned earthy twice already, beets and, and uh, mushrooms, but nonetheless, the earthiness of the beets, but also a sweetness of the beet and, um, and the tenderness of the beet is different than the tenderness of the crab. So you think about food and, you, and I think about all those things playing in somebody's, on somebody's palate. Visually, it's appealing. They could get up a little bit of that on a fork and they put it into their mouth and those flavors work together. And I don't know why I put those to get things together, except that it sounded good to me. And it's been something that has worked for me for many years. So that is one of my signature dishes. And I am pleased as punch that Tampa is enjoying it. And I certainly understand why it's a signature <laughs> dish. I got to tell you, and that's one of the best things I ever put in my mouth. Oh, that well, that's was, great. Yeah, that's great. We'll <laughs> see. And I didn't have to try to make you enjoy it. Well, I, mean, I love I, beets too. Some, you know, but I think even people who think they don't, it all goes together so great. Yeah, and if somebody didn't like a beet and they didn't want beet, I could put it on top of mixed greens because why would I not accommodate a guest if that's something they, they would prefer? But why not come in and try the food that I've worked on and that I've put together and that my staff is trained on? Why not come in and give it a try? And if you don't like it, 
I'll bring you something else. So as you said, you really haven't been in Florida that long. You're still kind of like, your head's still spinning and you're still trying I'm to I'm still find loving going to the beach. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, that won't change, I don't think. But, you know, I'm wondering, now that you've come down here, I think of Ohio and I like lots of farms and the long growing. I know there's a winter, but then a fantastic spring and oh, spring vegetables. The four seasons, definitely something four that you seasons. miss. Yeah. And so I'm wondering, like, yeah, what have you come down to Florida and gone I can't find it, you know, or this doesn't oh taste goodness. anything like what I'm used to. Well, I haven't I haven't hooked up with a big enough farm. I mean, the farmers that I'm using are mostly growing greens, and there's nothing wrong with that, arugula and, and mixed greens and pea shoots, which are one of my mainstays, and um, microgreens. But, I mean, I'd, I would like to hold – I'd like to find somebody that I could grab a little provincial vegetables, which – are available in the South, certainly. Peppers, egg, especially this time of year, peppers, eggplant, squash, summer squash. And you're looking for local sources. I would trying? be great to have local yeah. sources. But I mean, again, like I said, it's hard to hard to tap into a small local farmer if you're going to be demanding. And I don't have those relationships built yet. So you can't just walk in and say, I want all your business. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. there's lots of great restaurants in town using great product. And I'm so pleased at the variety of food that is available here in Tampa to dine on as a as a patron. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's a little competitive to get those uh, quality oh, well, I'm local sure. sources. I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm like, again, I'm, I'm the new kid on the block. I've yeah. got to knock on a few more doors. Yeah, you have emphasized that the quality of the food coming in the back door is the first thing you have Absolutely. to worry about. Like um, I, I heard you say, if you're going to eat butter, eat the best butter. You yes, know? Think yes. about what you're eating. Think about what you're eating. Absolutely. So how many people are working in the kitchen? I would say we have about 20 on on staff right now mm-hmm. between if, prep cooks and wear washers and, and line cooks, AM and PM. We're doing brunch, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. So got a lot of got a lot of things that need to be diced and sliced and checked in and stored and stocked. And it's a fast-moving machine. You had a pretty tough experience with Rue Domain in Dayton. Yeah, well, the end of, well, the end of my, my life there was my culinary profession. Well... My professional career there was difficult as far as with my restaurant, yes. Yeah. Many uh, reasons. <laughs> well, I looked at Dayton.com had a story quoting you. I guess it was an email you sent out. This was from July 2017. And mm-hmm. you, I mean, you said um, you ran the course of your lease. There were tax, you know, property tax problems. You couldn't negotiate proper terms. But you said my heart is broken. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was really hard. You would put oh, your yeah. heart and soul, obviously, into that that uh, that restaurant, Rue Domain, which was called the best New Orleans restaurant is in <laughs> Ohio. You know, I think that was Huffington posted a story on it. Um, you had said, um, I will keep you posted on when and where this journey takes me next and ultimately how I intend to get myself back to Dayton so I'm able to feed you once again. Um, but I'm taking a respite from the owner-operator world. So you had that experience. It's been less than two years ago. You how know? about that? <laughs> so, so how did it affect you, and how did you decide it was time to get back into it? Well, I, I was looking, honestly, to my partners, John and Trudy, I'm John and Trudy Cooper. I've known them for 20-plus years. I, Of course, I knew my lease was coming to an end, and I knew that there was I, I had to go somewhere to create a life for myself and continue making a living because you can't just sit back and wait for somebody else to do that for you, right? So I um, reached out to many professionals that I knew across the country that I had respected and known and crossed their paths and as they had done to me and many of them, not John and Trudy per se, but had done to me through the years. And I just said, look, I've been an owner-operator 
chef owner operator for 22 years and I'm going on the free market. If you have anybody's path that you I mean, because, you know, in this industry, just like any industry, I would imagine you get the word out that you need something. You're, I'm looking for cooks. I'm looking for this. I'm, look, I'm looking for this piece of equipment, whatever it is. I just kind of got the word out to some of the people that I that I knew and respected and just said, hey, I'm, I'm going to be uh, looking for a job. Not asking them for a job necessarily, you know what I mean? But but just getting the word out. You have a lot of contacts. So I had, yes. And you are guy. a James Beard award I winning I am. Chef. How about that? <laughs> I'm not too savvy with LinkedIn and all that. I don't, it's not because mm-hmm. I don't respect with that, their effort, but I just, it's just too much mental time for me. So I just reached out to certain people and just said, hey, I'm going to be on the market. And so different people approached me and I thought about different opportunities. And John and Trudy have uh, always been lovely, hardworking, very uh, focused individuals. And I, uh, we, they got to talk and we got to talk and they had a very successful Swan was up and running and it was, it was showing some promise. And they were like, you know, we were thinking maybe. And so uh, I went on an R&D trip with John and Trudy out to Denver and Chris Ariola, one of my other partners, joined us. And we just spent three days in Denver eating, and then we went to Nashville from Denver, and we ate three days in Nashville. And I'm going to tell you what, we were all tired of eating, but we had sparked a fire. We had sparked a fire where we, we all got to back to where we were in our lives, and we just started. I was doing some private events. I was doing some private personal chefing in Dayton just to get my house sold and get everything cleaned up that I needed to clean up before I moved in a different direction. And before I knew it, I was uh, moving to Florida. So Oak and Ola is in Armature Works, which itself is a kind of a new place, a oh, very yes, cool and a place, and a tr- transforming and that part of the city. Oh, and it's so wonderful t- to be part of that? it. I'm so excited to be part of it. Well, it, the Armature Works celebrated its first year anniversary a couple months ago, and so there they have the food stalls within the main um, main area of Armature Works. Armature Works itself does a lot to promote the community and they, they they have these wonderful nighttime markets they have a day, an indie market during the day they do yo I mean, all sorts of things to bring people to the area yoga and all all sorts of really cool things plus they have tremendous two different i believe two maybe three opportunities upstairs to do different um events mm-hmm. and so people are are it's a beautiful space it's it's a beautiful space for people to come to they're developing the whole dock along the river opening up a little oyster place so they're continuing to see that as they progress, they have a 10-year plan. They've bought the property all around it, and they're just rebuilding Tampa Heights. It really has me very excited to be not in the very beginning, but a year after they started. We have a sit-down, full-service restaurant offering brunch, lunch, and dinner in my with my food, I'm happy to say, and a staff of happy, happy-to-be-there individuals that are promoting what we're doing. I feel really blessed that we're in on the ground floor of it in the sense that when they when they build the 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 future businesses and and um offices and grocery store somebody said when they so much we'll, we'll have so much available to us and mm-hmm. you know we can watch the sun go we watch the sun go down the, the the city lights light up and everyone's very excited about Tampa downtown Tampa and how the growth and the stability that it it's got and that it's working towards and I'm tickled pink that we're a stone's throw from there. So, mm-hmm. And you're part of it. Absolutely. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> I wanted to talk a little bit more about the restaurant itself and your food. Um, okay. Give people an idea of what makes it special. What makes Okinola different than other restaurants in Tampa? Well, I have – when I dine out with my friends, and maybe because I'm a chef, but when other – when family, family friends, when we dine out, um, I'd much rather order – several things to come to the table 
maybe one right after the other, maybe just order six things and say, hey, bring it whenever you want it, whenever it's ready, so that you can, I don't want to leave a restaurant having had one thing. I want to I leave a restaurant having tasted six things or eight things. But that's, and I find that to be common in the food world. People are more excited about food. There are a group of people that come in, and every time they come in, they order the same salad and they order the same entree. But then there are people that come in every time they order, they order, they can't decide which six or eight items they want to get for the table of four or six. And they start to just dine. And, and, and it's it's wonderful to see people passing plates around, passing a plate of whatever, an endive salad around, and everyone's getting a little taste of it and tasting the balance that I feel like we've, we've created with the apple and the walnut and the blue cheese and a little Banyol's vinegar. And that starts a conversation. What's Banyol's vinegar? Where does it come from? So they're not ingredients that are terribly unfamiliar, but it's a new flavor profile for them, for many of our guests. And so it excites me that people are willing to put themselves out there and, and try something and then go, you know what, that's that's pretty good. Yeah. So and you're I'm encouraging happy. those small plates and sharing Absolutely. and passing around. You do have you have something for everyone because you do have the big entrees. Right. Uh, the short ribs. Oh, my gosh. Oh, you had the short rib oh. sandwich. <laughs> Love the short rib. So I was with a colleague of mine who's a – a big fanboy of yours. Oh, that's great. And I bit into the short rib and I was like, wow, there's just something a little bit different about it. And he said, that's what you always get with Anne oh. is there's <laughs> just a little bit of a surprise. There's a little bit something different than the way that you've had it, you know, all the other times you've had it. And in that case, we heat up the short rib and a little bit of a gravy that is made in-house. And um, we put in a just a less than a tablespoon of a pearl onion compote. And that has vinegar balsamic vinegar and sugar and pearl onions that have been cooked down. So they have a tart and a sweet, very and, – and so we're adding a small amount of the tart and sweet compote to the braised short rib, which is savory. And so it's it's adding just a little bit of a bite to it. So when you're taking a bite of it, you might get one of those pearl onions that some people think are raisins because they they get cooked down until they're about the size of a raisin. Anyway, and so it's not obvious because it's obvious unless you're looking for it because it's brown, the same color as the short ribs. And the short rib, the sandwich, the tartan is an open-faced sandwich on top of brioche that has been toasted. And then the, the short rib mixture goes on top with a little bit of the gravy that gets topped with blue cheese, mm. a slice of blue cheese that gets put into the fire roasting <laughs> oven oh gosh, and melted. That. So yeah. so that there, there's lots of, like you're finding the creaminess from the cheese, but mm-hmm. also the bite from the cheese. And you're finding the sugar, the, the sweetness from the compote. But Anyway, I mean, there's so much, and then you, you put got, it with the carrot salad yes, too. Yes, the carrot, yeah, carrot, Julian carrots. It's like with a the, freshness and a crunchiness. Yeah. I'm happy that you enjoyed that. That's what I wanted you to get. That's what I'm saying. Order the menu items and take a little piece of whatever's on there and get into my brain and see what I see what I was thinking. And then you've got a cocktail menu. You've oh got yes, your very nice. Going yes, on. yes, very nice cocktail menu. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are blessed to have lots of hardworking bartenders that are um, working towards keeping those standards up. Using lots, lots of fresh. We have a bar chef actually. He comes in twice a week to juice for the bar and, and to make different mixtures that they use to, for some of the bases of the cocktails. And what's the philosophy behind the restaurant design? I, I thought it reminded me a little bit of New Orleans with those big kind of. Broad iron lanterns hanging yes. down, I think. Well, that would be Trudy. She 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 hunts and gathers things wherever she goes as far as 
she's building an aesthetic that she doesn't even know the end result at the time she's building it. Like she'll go into a, a junk shop or an antique shop or whatever, and and I'll just walk through real quick, and she'll be she'll be like in the corner digging through a box and finding incredible whatever. And so she just gathered all these things together. Plus we had a designer in out of New Orleans who designed re, redid my my restaurant after the fire in '99. Got to know John and Trudy. And then redid their home. He's his his name is Patrick Dunn, and he's fantastic. Anyway, he got brought into the the fold when they opened on Swan, and so when Okanola came about, he was like absolutely with Anne, and so it was like going home to New Orleans. But he came to us, so we got to go back and talk about New Orleans because that was your that was the evolution of your cooking absolutely. style. Absolutely. Well, you got down to New Orleans, and you were cooking with John Neal. Yes, I was twenty three when was I your met mentor. John. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and he he opened my mind up to Provence. He opened my mind up to the flavors of the Southwest region of France. He opened my mind up to Paula Wolfert, who is a fantastic. She's one of my idols. I've not met her, nor do I think I will. But nonetheless, I um, I would he would send me home with a a book of hers, any book in the through the time, but a book of her specifically. And he would say, read this chapter tomorrow when you come in. And it was just he and I in the kitchen when we opened. And Peristyle. that was, yeah. So mm-hmm. I mean, we opened Peristyle together in ninety two, or beginning of 92 and uh, I had worked with him in 91 and then I went and worked for Emerald for three years and came okay. back and Emerald bought- Lagasse now this yes. was another big influence on you right he, he taught me how to handle business I already knew how to cook because I had run kitchens and such in Ohio before I left for New Orleans and then had worked with John for uh, just over a year in New Orleans and Emerald he taught me of the value of networking ta- he, he showed me the connection between being a cook and being uh, and uh, being a chef and, and getting to know your clientele, because I worked at the food bar, which was open to the public. They would sit right in front of you, and they had all sorts of questions and attention that they needed. While you're getting 150 things ordered and fire and pick up, and so you you had to learn to juggle things. And then I became his culinary assistant. We, which meant I I wrote his TV shows. His when he first launched on TV Food Network, I wrote his scripts and his recipes for that show and then helped with the second cookbook. I was his hunter and gatherer. So I was introduced to a whole world of Louisiana that I would not have been, I would have just been a New Orleanian in the way that I looked at life. But I got to go all over the state of Louisiana and meet the rice growers and meet the pecan growers and meet, I mean, meet these great people while he was meeting them for the Louisiana Real and Rustic, which was his second book. And so he just we were both learning, but he just put me in a different place about how you are completely in and resp- you are completely responsible for your your own journey. And so, I'd sit at these meetings. I wasn't to repeat anything I heard or or to speak. Even he didn't say I couldn't speak, but I wasn't. It wasn't a meeting that I was involved in. I was just as his assistant. I was there keeping notes and such. But um, I just was blown away at how fast his career was moving. Obviously, he was much older than I was, so I was watching him rise. And I, you can't, you can't buy that kind of experience. I got to go do corp, do events all over the country and eat, drink, and sleep only when Emerald did. You didn't you, when you were, worked with Emerald. You only ate, drank, or slept when he did. You didn't. Wow. You didn't get up and do your own thing. You were his it's intense. Yeah, I mean, it was in wonderfully wonderful intensity. I mean, I was. Yeah. I had health insurance for the first time as a cook. <laughs> You can laugh, but that was a big thing when your parents are like, ah, do you have health insurance? No, I do not. But now that that was the first With job that I was did. able to do. And, mm-hmm. and you said you learned a lot about the business side of things, yeah. which you have to have when you own your own restaurant. Right. Well, at 27, John Neal died. I was working for Emerald, had been there for three years. And um, the uh, attorney who I'd known for many years, the attorney for John's estate, 
and I knew John's parents, they contacted me and said that they wanted to offer me the restaurant before it went on the market. And because I had opened it with him and Anyway, you were um, 27. You I was didn't 27. Have I had kind of $300 money. in the bank. I was making mm-hmm. maybe $8.50 an hour at the time, maybe less. Who knows? So I had three days to decide. I put a few phone calls into the small business administration. I put together some things on my time off. And then I told Emeril I wanted to talk with him. And he's like, okay. So I sat and talked with him. And he said, is that really what you want to do? I said, I want to go buy Peristyle. And he's like, is that what you want to do? And I said, I can't think of anything else. I don't want it to fall into the property to fall into the hands of somebody who's not going to maintain this wonderful foundation that he's laid. So ultimately, he said, okay, we'll bring your paperwork with you tomorrow. So I went into work the next day into the private room, one of the private dining rooms, and he was in there with his bankers. And he basically said, if you don't give her the money, I'm going to give her the money. And they had given him money to open a second restaurant. So he was like, she'll make this money back up on the, if, if she were to fail at this restaurant, this restaurant venture she's buying into, um, she will make that money back and have no problem paying it, paying it back to you on the street as a chef. And that was the first time he'd ever said such in my presence. So I was like, wow, cool. So the next day I went to the bank. He didn't sign anything. He, he wasn't part of my loan negotiation, except he opened the door for me. And that's what you do when you And when he you told everybody how much confidence he had in yes. you. And that's the first time you heard it, too. Yeah, well, I, I knew he had confidence in me, but I didn't hear, like... He would back it up with that Yeah, kind I didn't of money. hear him, like, okay, <laughs> he's going to give me money if you don't, so you better give it to me. But that's anyway. A, amazing. So tell me the background of your partners. You mentioned Trudy Cooper. Trudy, yeah, Trudy is a, a, one of the original founders of Outback Steakhouse. Trudy Cooper. And then, um, so she and John both worked with Outback since from the very beginning. And um, they, I guess, I don't know, maybe six years ago, gosh, I think maybe six, seven years ago. I hope that that's right, Trudy. um, Retired from from that ownership. And then um, Chris Ariola, he was with Outback for many years. He had had lots of um, experiences with bonefish, and I, I could, I could go through his whole resume as well. And then Andy Ganger, who's also, he had some out, he had some bonefish experience. He was a JVP, and believe it or not, Ohio, Kentucky. So he, JVP, he, uh, joint venture partner. Okay. So he, he had eleven restaurants underneath his his um, umbrella. So he had, he came to, to uh, Tampa, excited for having one restaurant to to be part of, so that he could focus all of his energies there. And so each one of us are. Um, working and moving in the right direction, trying to keep all the I's dotted and T's crossed. Chef Ann Kearney, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you very much. I've been speaking with Chef Ann Kearney of Tampa's Oak and Ola. To get ready for our talk, I visited her busy restaurant at Armature Works for lunch with the Zest producer, Delia Cologne. Sit with us as we try that famous horseradish dressed crab salad that Anne described as one of her signature dishes. Oh. Well, the endive salad is nice, but the apples, you think of apples as so the ordinary. crab salad is to die for. Really? It is, you gotta taste it. What do you like about it? You're like, all of it. I love the horseradish with the crab. It's just, and the sweetness of the beets. It's a perfect starter. You don't want, I don't think you would want it, like, it's a perfect, it's a perfect little appetizer. Lanyap, as we say in uh, 
New Orleans. <laughs> we say that in New Orleans? <laughs> I've been in New Orleans and I never said that. Mm. I think that's the word. Uh, it's just a little something extra. Mm-hmm. Nice. And I like that these are cold dishes because Florida, summer, the struggle is real. That's something you could serve to company if you could figure out how to make it. <laughs> um, are you tasting it? Did you taste it yet? I didn't taste the beets. <laughs> salad if I could tear myself away from the crab salad, mm. but I cannot. The beets are amazing! And who says that about beets? I don't know what she did to that, but she put her foot in it, as we say. Leave one. <laughs> that was Cleveland native Delia Cologne and I at Oak and Ola where Ann Kearney is the James Beard award-winning executive chef and co-founder. You can follow her on Instagram at Chef Ann Kearney and at Oak underscore Ola. Well, thanks so much for joining us. Do us a favor, rate us on iTunes and subscribe. We've also got a very nice newsletter with cooking ideas and recipes that you can subscribe to also through our website, thezestpodcast.com. I'm Robin Sussingham. Dalia Cologne and I produce The Zest with help from Megan Trimble, Mark Hayes, and Craig George. The Zest is a production of WUSF Public Media.